0: You're listening to The Real Estate Entrepreneur Podcast with Terrence Murphy, where we cover sales, investing, and entrepreneurship with an emphasis on real estate. Each podcast, Terrence and his guests will bring you informative and inspiring information within the real estate industry.
1: Welcome to The Real Estate Entrepreneur with Terrence Murphy. I have a a guest today that I've known since he was a young man in college, Jabari McLennan. He's a speaker, a sales professional, and a real estate entrepreneur. Jabari is the host of a podcast called What's Your Self Talk? And he's been focusing on numerous topics of personal development and professional development. Jabari has been an active real estate investor over the last three years and now owns 16 doors and four Airbnb. I think his total 18, 19 properties. He owns them with his wife, Shania. They met at Arkansas State is both D1 athletes. His company name is McLennan Legacy. And the main reason they started the real estate company is for their kids to have something that they could pass down to them. They have a 21 month old Houston, a little boy and a baby on the way in the next couple of weeks. So excited to have him on the show and excited to really dive into this episode with him. So welcome to the Real Estate Entrepreneur podcast with Terrence Murphy. I have Jabari McLennan today as my guest. I've known this young man. I actually was his coach uh, at JUCO. I was his receiver coach. And um, the first day I saw him, I said, man, that kid reminds me of myself. And uh, we've had a long relationship. I wanted to bring him on because he's growing his rental portfolio. He's doing some startup stuff. He's in sales. And he's really, he and his wife uh, were really some of the first people that I've mentored in the real estate Kind of space years back. Hey, while I was still learning the process, but hey, welcome to the show, bro. I'm glad that you're here with me. Thank you for being here.
0: Yeah, I'm excited. I'm uh, more than honored to be here and this to be able to share my story to help others. So, just as you've done for me, so I appreciate you having me.
1: Yeah, and like I said, I always like to start off the show with a with a quote or a scripture or something like that. And so, if you are afraid, don't do it. And if you are doing it, don't be afraid. Genghis Khan. I like I like studying conquerors and people that have been leaders of military. Um, so studying that. So like he's saying, if you're afraid, don't do it. And if you're doing it, don't be afraid. Because once you get out there in the fray, you just got to go. Got to make it happen. So well, let's jump into it. Jabari, tell me who you are, where you're from. Tell me your story and then lead me to how you got into real estate.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'll go back to kind of how we met and kind of go into from there, So I grew up, I think like most black kids is just wanted to make it to the NFL. That was always my goal. That was always my dream. You know, growing up in a divorced house, home, stay with my mom earlier on. I was like, you know what, I'm going to make it to D1. And I knew that was the first step to be able to make it to the NFL. And so I set out to allow that to be my goal. And of course, straight out of high school, that happened. You I'm going to junior college route. And actually the second year, one guy with a hoodie walked in. <laughs> with uh, who's gonna be my new wide receiver coach? His name was Terrence Murphy. I'm like, okay, didn't know too much, but I mean, pretty much from there, I just tagged along and asked you as many questions. And I, I, heck, I think I pretty much knew your schedule as far as where you was at because I just wanted to learn. And it was just rare to be able to see somebody who was, who was black who was in love with uh, God and just really being somebody who was hard at what they were doing. And so pretty much from there helped me get into a D1 school, Arkansas State University. And pretty much from there had a lot of ups and downs within those first two seasons and pretty much got to my senior year. And I had to realize that I'm going to continue to try to pursue this football route or I'm going to have to go the business route. And I, I never forget, you know, one of the things you tell me, like, bro, whatever you do, you have my support. And so that was important for me to be able to hear because I've wrapped my identity around football so much in my life. I didn't think I can be able to do anything else. And so, you know, God told me, you know, business was going to be my route. So, man, I think it was, I entered into the sales game, did door-to-door sales, cutco knives, and then pretty much from there, advanced my way up to selling cars, doing management, and then started going into the speaking game. But I think what really got me is like, as I was going through some of those sales jobs, I realized like, man, I don't really have too much of a, a plan as far as like what, what's going to happen. You know, when I start having kids, when, you know, life starting to the point where I need something to show for my hard work. And the thing about you, you was always on my head about real estate. You've always told me, look here, bro, you need to read this book. Who got my money? It's funny because you still say that to this day and it's like, that's the exact same thing you told me over 10 plus years ago. So it's, it's nothing new. It's the exact same thing. I was more of the stubborn one and, you know, the one that had to go through some experiences to realize, okay, maybe I need to actually listen. And so it was a combination of that and my wife, you know, we was about to get ready to start our first, I mean, we were about to get ready to start having our first uh, kid. And, um... I think, yeah, she brought it to me. I was like, you know what? Okay. So I started reading the books and I started realizing, like, man, this is a complete mind shift for me because I grew up having to teach myself everything when it comes to finances. And, you know, I was big on, you know, what's funny is I was big on not having any debt, but I had a college scholarship, so I really didn't have any debt. So I was huge on, you know, the Dave Ramsey principles and, I, it was when I started reading those books, it started helping me understand and wrapping my mind around debt in a different way. You know, the difference between good debt and bad debt. Uh and so pretty much from there we me and my wife, we went out, we read enough, we just had to take action. And we got our very first house. I think it was in two thousand and seventeen. And pretty much from there, I mean, we're at where we're at now. Uh we actually have 18 rental properties. And it's a lot of stories within how we got from there to here. And I'm actually sitting in one of our Airbnbs that we kind of ventured into this year. So. Oh,
1: so that's how you do. You do the podcast in one of your properties too. So. <laughs> 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 All right. So I'm telling y'all ahead of time, me and Jabari are going to laugh a lot. So if, if people laugh and bothers you, then you might want to jump off now. So you now have 18 rental properties that just you and your wife own.
0: Just me and my wife
1: own. How old were you when you bought your first property? 29. And so that's another thing that I try to explain to my listeners and people that reach out to me. The first thing they say is, well, I'm only in my 20s. That's the best time to start. And so I just want to rewind a little bit. Obviously, I was Jabari's coach. And if anybody knows me personally, I'm a visionary. And I always try to see the best in people. And like I explained to him, football is just a tool and it's a vehicle in order to give you life experiences. And I think a lot of times people make it seem like they're at a deficit. But like I explained to Jabari, if you make it to the NFL, great. If you don't, who cares? And I think that was the benefit of transitioning. Like he met me after I was transitioning from the NFL. And so I had went through that crisis of not knowing my identity. I had went through depression. I had been obviously paralyzed through my neck injury. And so I was able to speak life into him and say, not only can you do something else besides football, it's okay to just be done with football. And so I feel like God really used me in that part of your life to kind of just know that you can be something else. So let's talk about your first investment. So when you bought that first property, you read the books that I had been wearing you out to read. Yep. I remember you saying, hey man, I just want to come spend a couple of days in town with you in College Station, ride around and just be a fly on the wall. First off, I think people didn't really get to see me in the field and see I'm running 100 miles an hour. But I think I remember us sitting at traditions on um, the house that I was building, we sat on the balcony, we watched the sunset, and we just talked about real estate. And we talked about why, how, and you asked, you asked me a million questions because that's just Jabari. And I want to encourage everybody you know, they always say that the, the dumbest question is the question you don't ask. So if you have access to somebody that you can ask the question to, then you need to ask it. And so walk me through that first rental property. Explain to me the emotions around it, the scenario. Let's talk through that deal because you now have 18 properties over the last, what, five to seven years?
0: Uh, Three years. Oh,
1: my bad. You have 18 properties over three years. Yes. Wow. Okay. let's talk. Let's talk through the first one and then we're going to walk down that path.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I think the first one is the biggest one because it's it's more of a mind game. I went down there, you know. I asked you a lot of questions, and to this day, I still have a lot of those pictures of that exact day that I remember the house y'all living in when you was building it, and I was seeing exactly what was possible, you know. And reading the books from Robert Kiyosaki, and I was actually listening to a podcast because it was I wanted to wrap, continue to wrap my head around it daily, and just to be able to say, all right, what direction I wanted to go, and I knew from the beginning, from a lot of reading, that. We wanted to get property to be able to buy and hold, so we wanted to get the cash flow. So I needed to understand, you know, what was my strategy? Why was I entering into this, and what was going to be, you know, the long term goal? Because I knew just one property was never going to be a goal for me. And for certain people, you know, they want to dip in it once, but like we were, knew we were going to commit at this to uh, a different level than we've done anything else. And so as I went into that first property. You know, it was really understanding and utilizing, you know, other people's money, which I learned through the book. And it was taking action and, and having a little bit of that fear and being okay with it because it was then that I realized, okay, we're doing this. It's it's no more needing to read something else. I don't need to call Murph again to ask him another <laughs> question. I don't need to do none of this because Know I started
1: getting rough around the edges when you asked me the same question.
0: Yeah. And you, you know that and you was just like, and you'll stop me half the time. You're like, all right, look, listen, bro. You'll tell me things about that because at the end of the day, it will remind me, okay, it's not the deal. It's not the information you read. It's not anything, but you need to be able to take action. And so we put in an offer for that property, me and my wife, and we had a good agent that we worked with and we still work with to this day. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was really important. Someone who knew the area, someone who knew us and they were helpful to guiding us and, you know, they didn't rush us. And so and so it, from there we had to make some repairs to the house. And so that was good to be able to know an agent because they introduced us to other people who could help us make some adjustments to the actual house. And so we, we started and we I think we got a, a tenant in that house within. Less than 30 days from us actually closing on that house. And so, and then at that point, the journey began. You know, we started going out looking for another one because we had our financial freedom number. And I, basically, what that meant was how many houses do we need to be able to cash flow at this amount to be able to hit our financial freedom number, as in we can be able to use this if we didn't want to work again or whatever that case is. And so, that has evolved a lot since then. But at the end of the day, that was a lot of the first steps that we took as far as in that first property.
1: That first property, walk me through it. So you, you bought a three bed, two bath. Yep. Why did you buy that property? And, and then you put some money into it, remodeled it. Just kind of walk me through that. Like, why did you buy it? Was it location? Was it close to Arkansas state university? Was it a family rental? Like, why did you pick that one?
0: So I picked that property because first it was very close to downtown area in the city for Jonesboro, and when you start looking at any place that any city, the downtown area is always the main attraction uh, because you have people who are older who knew that because it was stories there, but there was also new people who's going to be coming into the area and they want to either go out nightlife or they want to be able to hang out and eat. It's just a lot of different attractions there. So I knew in my mind is that okay, this is a great location because of it's connected to the downtown area. And then two, just doing some research in that area, I knew that some college students did stay close by. Certain college students like to stay on campus. A lot of college students like to stay off campus. And I knew at that time you were heavy in uh, some of the college rentals as well. And so that did go into my thinking as far as, okay, well, if this being three rooms, we have an opportunity where if somebody wanted to rent out the rooms, we can be able to explore that option as well. Uh, but, But the market as well is really what helped me. This city itself is a very family-based city, so meaning a lot of people, whether they're graduating or they're moving here for work, they are looking to bring their family and establish you know, a place where they can you know, take the kids to school and be able to have a yard and having neighbors. And so the community and me understanding the environment of that house was based off of some of those things. And so that really helped me make that decision So, okay, well, three, two is very popular here because that is normal family size is what somebody would look at, whether you are you know, a first time home buyer or you're first a first home renter. Because most of the time people here, what I've noticed is that they need a form of family uh, setup that's going to be stable for them. Because the reality is in this market, a lot of people don't think they can ever buy a home. So it's a renter's market. And yeah. I learned that early on. I, you would be surprised how, how many people go from rent to rent because they don't believe or think that they can be able to get a house. And even to this day, we have tenants who keep telling us that they are eventually going to get a house. And hey, we're all for it and we support it. But then they renewed their lease and it just goes to show that this is a renter's market. And a lot of people are just looking for someone who is you know, not a slumlord who's going to take care of them. And so a lot of that we knew up front, a lot of that we understood when we were going into this first property. And so we did make some um, a repairs to the actual house.
1: Let's talk specifically about the repairs on this property. Did you go in and put in new granite, new flooring? Did you add a room? Because I think a lot of times... When people are buying these properties, a fixer-upper or, or, you know, they call it fixer-upper or a value add, right? Those are two big words you hear. Sometimes, like what I was originally doing when I was buying these properties is I was buying pier and beam homes. I would go in and, you know, and fix the foundation just to get it level. And then I would pour slab and add in some rooms, things like that. Then I just decided to stop doing that and start tearing them down. And we're going to talk about your progression as an investor. Sure. But in this specific property did you go in and just they call it put lipstick on a pig and just paint the outside or did you add in bedrooms, did you add in countertops, what did you do?
0: No. So this one I pretty much gave it some uh customized lipstick. So we went into this one, very first one, we made some foundation adjustments cuz it was a crawl space and yep. uh learning at first time, you know, we didn't know what the difference was from crawl space and just a solid foundation. So, you know, having that crawl space and, you know, the floor, 11 and not the floor was a real big main focus for us on this house because it was an older house. It, it was a house that was built in around, uh, I think, the 70s. And so when you have houses that long over time, you need to make some improvements. So that was probably the biggest expense that we had on that house. Other than that, we went in and, you know, we painted the walls. We, you know, I think we replaced the carpets, not the floors. Uh, and then we just you know, made it livable to where we believed that this was going to be a good, you know, first time renter house. It, good. it would be something that we had to live in being uh, newly married. So that's how we got it to that point And we was happy with that.
1: Okay. So you said you moved into it or you said that would have been something you would have considered? Yeah,
0: being- we just, so our standard is we want to get each of our houses to this point that like hey if we had to live here we're okay with that what well, we feel and, about you know it. so between me and my wife we understand you know she just don't accept anything and so it helps me understand <laughs> so it helps me understand like all right well if she said this is okay and we're gonna move forward and so you know my wife is a lot of the operations and the minds behind a lot of things and so give credit we're to her because she that. is definitely she gets more uh, praise I think than
1: me sometimes because she's you know, the mind behind a lot. of Yeah. Things. I don't even know why you're on the podcast. That's yeah,
0: I really don't on. know. You really needed to be. Getting up. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just the one that talk a lot for our family. So exactly.
1: like, oh, you talk a lot. So, yeah, I think the biggest thing, too, is when you're making these, fixing it, up, rehabbing it. The thing I always say first I want to do is make it safe. So when you're fixing the foundation, you're going through and looking at the electrical wiring or you're looking at the HVAC unit or whatever it may be, you just want to make sure it's safe. And then you want to make it to, like you said, where you and your wife can step back, look in the front yard and have pride and say, like, we did this. This is something that we own. So that quality, whether it's cosmetic or not, that you have pride in that ownership and whatever that standard is, then you feel confident because no one wants to go to bed at night knowing that they have somebody's family in a property that may not be safe. So I always tell people when you buy an older property, and you remodel it. To me, that's the first thing. Then in all of that, you want to focus on what is your return on investment. So if I go in and put in new appliances, new granite countertops, will that help me get more rent, but also will it make it safe? So I always focus on the bones first, whether it's the MEP, which is mechanical electrical plumbing, then obviously the structure, and then you jump into that. So what you got?
0: Yeah. So you just reminded me. And that's when we actually build this formula where we focus on five things. When we look at these houses, we looked at the roof. We looked at the foundation. uh, We looked at the HVAC. We looked at the electric and um, plumbing. Yes. Yeah. We look at plumbing. Thank you. And so when we look, those are the major costs because majority of the time, those are the things that either need fixing or have been fixed. Because when somebody sells something, they understand that these are the things that they need to Fixed because most people are going to walk in and look at that. And when we looked at all five of those things, those are the things that determine whether this is going to be, you know, a good property to be able to make some improvements to, or not. So, uh, and we've used that exact same formula every time somebody called me and said, "Hey, what are the things you look at?" I look at these five things because those are the things, or you know, your major, uh, major uh, fixes that. Eventually, if you don't fix them, it's going to be your major cost. But if you are fixing them, you're okay for generally about 10 years or more, depending on what you're looking at.
1: So obviously, you got it. Cosmetics done. You got a tenant in there. Did you guys self-manage it once you because the realtor is the person who got you with the inspectors? That's why it's always good. And obviously, I'm a real estate broker, but I've seen a lot of people go out and buy their first couple investment properties or their first home and try to do it on their own. And then they're underwater or they didn't get a good deal, or there's parts of the contract that really bit them, you know, an ass down the road. So when you had the realtor who obviously put the team in place, let's talk about once you got a tenant in there, how did you set up your own management or did you manage it yourself, you and your wife? Like walk me through the management piece.
0: Yeah, we going in, we were gonna manage the first couple ones ourselves. It's because what I learned is that. You don't really understand what goes all in to probably a management company unless you've managed it yourself. And so we knew it was important that we weren't going to turn to anybody else in the area to how to manage something that's supposed to be ours and it's supposed to be a part of our legacy. And it's going to represent us because at the end of the day, you know, you start off on the wrong foot. You know, other management companies, they don't really care about your property as much as you do. And so yeah, we knew going in that we were going to manage this, and and yeah, that, and that was it from that. So we accepted a responsibility that went along with that, and so so yeah, we picked the tenants, uh, we we found the tenants, and we learned more about the systems that we need to use. I think later down the line we actually started using some systems that you guys use, but I think in the beginning, you know, hey, don't
1: be discrediting me. You know, I helped you with them systems. Don't be discrediting yeah, I know you me. did. I know you did. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I think I, I think we it. use. Some- I think we use some stuff y'all use down the line.
0: Like, first thing I'm like, Hey, let me call Murph. So, and, that, and that's a, another thing to be honest with you. Like I I learned like in this real estate journey, like having the right people to call, especially on that first house is so important to have people who've taken action, but who are still committed to those actions because, I could have talked I talked to a lot of people that said, oh yeah, we tried that, it didn't work for us. So I'm like, okay, well, you're not the person I need to talk to mm-hmm. because the reality is it's a lot of people who will go out there and they will start something and they'll dabble their toes in it. But like I told you at the beginning, like we knew that this was going to be the first of many properties. And so I wanted to connect and talk to other people who had that same mindset because it helped me when I went in and asked the questions of, hey, how do I need to overcome this hurdle that I hit? They understand how to answer that question from a thinking forward, not retreating mindset. Yeah. And so that's why I was real gun ho on you, even though you were, you know, all the way in Texas. I'm like, at that time, you were one of the few people that I knew to turn to about systems, about who do we need to use about management. I believe you was part of the people that say, yeah, like y'all need to manage them yourselves before you try to turn it over to anybody else. Because like you said, you cannot expect somebody else to take care of your property. And you can't expect them to tell you the things that you don't even know to ask. And so that was, uh, that was just important for us. So, yeah, we manage them and in- until the day we still do. But, yeah, we manage all our properties just because it's so important to build a relationship with those tenants, to be honest with you, too. Especially early on, tenants want to ask you all the questions. And it's important for you to answer those questions directly and figure out how to fix some of those issues or questions I have, because I think just like everybody else, like I didn't know, I, don't, I didn't know how to do plumbing. I didn't want to fix the toilet in the middle of the night. But I didn't want to receive those calls, but at the end of the day, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was, right? It was all uh, in our minds. And that was, uh, it was a learning lesson for me, which helped gave me more confidence to continue to move on to the next properties.
1: No, that's good. So obviously you had that mind shift through the books that we talked about you needed to read. And then at some point you had to take the action. Then you put yourself out there on your first rental property and then you follow the same thing that I coached you on, which is managing yourself in the beginning. And then once you put together enough of your portfolio, then it gives you options. Cause I always say a person with options is a person with power. Yeah. If you don't have any options, you don't have any power and we've all been there in life where we don't have options and we just got to take what we get. But as you grew in knowledge, reading, taking action, and then managing them yourselves, if you ever were to hand them to a property manager, now you kind of have a standard set with your tenants and you have expectations and you have the experience of being in the game and managing them and doing that. And so that's why I pushed you to do those things and and go that route. So obviously from that point, you went from one property. What about the financing? Let's talk about that. Uh, That first property, obviously, did you get a loan? Did you put money down? Did you raise money from anybody? Did you did y'all put your own money up? Walk me through what that first investment property looked like.
0: Yeah. So that first property was what we call subject to a construction law. And so basically what that is is we found that property and we bought it underneath, you know, what the market value would be. And we were able to leverage the equity in that house once the repairs are made to use that money to be able to go back and make some of the repairs that was needed. Uh, and so, basically, how that works, the banks will go in and they'll look at this property and they'll give an appraisal. And they say, okay, well, first give me a cost sheet on one of the things that needs to be fixed on this house. And so, we submit that cost sheet and they say, okay, well, based on these costs and this house, the rent you're going to charge, uh, the areas in it being the 3 2, this is how much this house is going to be worth. We'll give you a percentage of that, which is the loan value. So, generally, it's anywhere MTV. from. 75 to 85%. So, this bank did 85% loan to value. And so, what that is, is of that appraisal, they give us a percentage of that minus whatever we're paying for the house and give us a portion of that to be able to fix up the house. And I was wanting to make sure when I did that math, I wanted to make sure when we had the cash flow number that each door needed to make sure it hit. So, when I always run those calculations, I will make sure, hey, this house needs to make sure it cash flow, you know two hundred dollars or more for each door that we look at because it doesn't make sense for us to help hit our goal uh, that we wanted to hit. And so that was kind of what the finance looked for us, and that's how we was able to acquire that first property.
1: So you tie up the property, you turn in a cost estimate to the bank on what repairs you're going to do and what it's going to cost. Then they obviously do that, and it's subject to appraisal because obviously loan to value means, what is the loan and what is the value And banks? You like to keep the ratios at a certain extent. So just real quick, obviously, guys, loan the value just means if, you know, like Jabari said on this property, 85, they're going to loan up to. So they'll give you a cap. I will loan you up to 70 percent or I'll loan you up to 80 percent. Well, if they loan you up to 80 percent and the property is worth one hundred thousand, that means they're going to give you 80 grand. You got to bring the twenty thousand dollars. So I just wanted to hit that real quick because I don't want that to fly by anybody. And so, like you said, then now you get the appraisal. A lot of times when you add in those cost estimates and those upgrades, it'll appraise for a lot higher than you expect because they're basing it on. okay, if you're going to go in and put in a new roof, new granite countertops, add a bedroom, whatever then now it's going to be worth this and you have it under contract for this. So that's that equity in between. You got that OPM from the bank. You did the remodel and then you leased it out and you cash flowed it, correct? Yes, absolutely.
0: Yeah, and one of the things on that property as well is just rewinding to today is we now, that property has raised in value since we first bought it. You know, I think over that three-year time span, we bought it for like 75 and now it's worth close to 100,000 over the three years. And so, you know, I think one people, a lot of people look into the uh, a lot of the other things that real estate do offer. You no, know, we really weren't set on that, but I did know that the area and the formulas and everything I thought into this new house, I mean, this house, our first house, it was going to give us those benefits laid down the line and it you know, shows to pro- prove that it did.
1: Yeah, man. So obviously you appreciated. it. Then obviously your your tenants helped you pay the debt down. Yeah, that's called building wealth. So a lot of times I even had somebody ask me, well, what's the difference between rich and wealthy? Rich just means you came into some cash and it's short lived. Wealthy means things can happen. You can go through some trials and tribulations. The market can change and you still have assets paying you cash flowing. And that's why I like the word wealthy versus rich. So obviously you're a speaker, bro you're a sales professional, and now you've really become a real estate entrepreneur. Now, I want to say something because my wife told me she's real big on grammar. I know, but I've been saying it wrong. I've been saying the typical real estate entrepreneur. I've been saying atypical. Just for all you grammar queens and kings out there, I know atypical is wrong. So just bear with me on that. First couple episodes, I said atypical real estate entrepreneur. But yeah, as you grow, so you obviously, you're a speaker, you're doing sales, but you guys have now grown to 18 rental properties. How did you do that in three years? Because that's the question. I'm like, if I'm sitting back, OK, yeah, you made the jump, Jabari. You bought one. But man, I just want you to know 18 rentals in three years, man. I'm not only am proud of you because I feel like I've played a small role in that, but I'm just so encouraged by your story. And that's why I wanted to have you on here. And I want to correct everybody. Yes, he has on Arkansas State Red Wolves shirt. He played at Arkansas State but he did not go to the NFL. And I think a lot of times people just write you off if they're like, oh, well, he played in NFL. He, he had money. No, man, you built this. Like I always tell people one brick mentality. You built this one brick at a time. So before we leave that first scenario, the money you had to put up, you didn't raise any money from anybody, just you and your wives, right? Mm-hmm. So tell me how you got that money. Did y'all sacrifice? Did you just put it back? Did you save? Did you drive the same car? Like what sacrifices did you have to make to be able to have that money to put it up?
0: I think the first thing before you get to all that is we were committed. Yeah. And I think people and myself can underestimate the fact of being committed to what you say you're going to do and then following through on that. And so, yes, we at that time didn't have kids. So we sacrificed that time to be able to say, okay, if somebody call in and say, we need to get this fixed, we're going to make time available for it. Somebody said that, you know, we need this at an inconvenient time. Well, guess what? I had the flexibility to be able to go to the store or go do whatever these things. So we really gave up our immediate freedom that we had to be able to go out and do things or, you know, hang out on the weekends or go take trips that we could have taken. And that's important because we had to commit ourselves to being there being available and being ready by at any time that we had to get a call. And so for us, that was the biggest sacrifice. But we knew what was the long term benefits that we were going to get from that. And so that immediate gratification that we all at younger ages, when we're married, don't have no responsibilities. We kind of gave that up because we understood the long-term game that we were playing. And so really is this, that initial flexibility to be able to say what we want to do, because to be honest with you, when you're younger and you're married, you have no kids, you have no responsibility. You can pretty much outside of work, go do and spend your money and do everything, anything you want to do. And so, yeah, we put a little bit aside, maybe uh, a couple thousand aside, just to be able to say if things were to happen. But once again, the knowledge that we were getting from learning and reading that too built confidence inside of us to be able to say, okay, this is what we need to do. And this is how we're going to handle these situations. It, it was not so much as like we had to pay a lot of money, it was just asking the right questions. And that's one of the things Robin's talk about. When you learn to ask the right questions, it was like, how can we overcome this? And like, instead of saying, what are we going to do? How, what no, ask yourself, how can we make this work? Because mentally in your mind, what happens is you go to work to try figuring out. What are your options? because the reality is is we hear a lot of people say, "You can do anything if you can put your mind into it," and you hear all these kind of cliche quotes, but they've sticked around for a reason, right? They stuck around because it applies to you first when you're committed and then two, when you're able to understand that when you're committed, you ask different questions when you're not committed and so I, I think that is the biggest point, you know regardless because when you are committed to anything, then you ask the right questions. And then I think everything else falls in place. So that's really, I think the bigger sacrifice is when we were committed, all those other things came in place that
1: we Yeah. Needed. So no vacations, no going out to eat all the time. Y'all were putting that money back. Yep. Y'all were in your early twenties. Y'all got married, what? 23 and 24, right?
0: Yes. Yes. So yes. And my wife was still in college. Uh, yeah, man, college. I remember.
1: So yeah, I just made the sacrifices and here we are. Y'all aren't even 30 yet and you have 18 rental properties. Yep. Yeah. And then you also had side hustles. I think that's another thing that when you would ask me, T, where am I going to come up with the money? And I would challenge you and say, yeah, you can read the books. I always, I used to tell you, there's two ways. You either got to raise the money or you got to create other revenue streams that can produce the nest egg or the capital to put your own money up. And that's when you started the book hustle on Amazon.
0: Yep. I never forget. I remember I was calling you and telling you that. And, well, and two, one of the things that I knew that was so helpful for me is like every time I will call you and ask you for advice on, hey, do the Amazon thing or whatever, you always just remind me, hey, go for it, bro. Like, if that's what you know you can do and you can be able to commit to it, go for it. It's it's a lot of people who have been successful. And so, yeah, that was my first side hustle being able to do that.
1: Yeah, so y'all Amazon. and y'all put a lot of time into that. Y'all would go online, y'all would go to half price books, you buy these books, then you would margin them, like right? you would buy them in bulk, right? And then you would put them back on and sell them on Amazon, and then that produced some cash flow to be able to put money aside. And that's the thing I'll try to tell people. I want to hit this real quick. There is and everybody's got excuses, just like everybody has. We already know what the finish of that is, right? So at the end of the day, if you want it, go make it happen. And that's why I always, if you know me personally, like not a lot of people know my story and I can dive into it. And over, over these podcasts, I probably will. But if I start walking you through my story, I had a mini reason to quit, give up, make excuses, but it's not about that. We all have trials and tribulations. We all have shortcomings. We all start in a deficit, but like I would challenge you, what can you do? What can you do? Like you were doing the sales, you were selling the cars, but what else do you have time for? And you came back to me and said, I got this hustle, man. (laughs) I'm I'm going to do these books. And I'm like, great. <laughs> if that's going to help you produce more cash to put into real estate, go for it. So I know we're supposed to be talking about real estate, but I wanted to mention that because I didn't want that part of your story to be overlooked.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like you and your wife have sacrificed and hustled and 18 rentals in three years, bro, before you're 30. That's a big deal.
0: And I think the thing that I want to add on to that is once again, we were committed to that. When we said we were going to do something, it wasn't like, Oh, we're going to try and dip our foot into this. No, we committed to that. And like, I told myself like, look, the minimum, if you have to ever commit to anything, you need to do it for a year, you know, and if you don't figure it out from there, then okay, then that, that is your permission. But the reality of committing to something, it teaches you to learn what are the things that I need to improve in? What are the things that's working? And so not only one did we learn in real estate, but just doing that on-side hustles, it helps me not try to look at other options. It helps me not try to back out and do something else because the reality is if you don't have that commitment to doing what you say you're going to do, then yeah, you're right. Nothing's going to work because you're always looking for the next thing. And that was my biggest thing that I had to constantly correct myself of is like, you need to go all in and you need to make sure that this is your focus.
1: Yeah, I stayed on your ass about that, because as athletes and just anybody that's successful doing something else, you can be playing a guitar. You could have started another business. Once you've tasted success, you just expect to jump in a new space and be successful. But like I would explain to you, I didn't want you to be that football player that by the time you got to 30, you had tried 18 different things. I'm not saying that's a negative thing, like try it. But I'm like, bro, you got to stick with something because I would see people try something for 90 days and then they would go get another job and start that for 90 days. And hell, two years out of college, they've had 10 jobs and they wonder why they're not successful. Because what we got to remember is every time you start over, you're starting back at the bottom. And I've always talked about that. And especially if you're changing spaces. Yeah. So let's imagine if you'd have bought this first rental house, you had already bumped your head on some things, you had learned it. And obviously you figured it out because you now have 18 properties in three years. But imagine if you said, okay, I'm done with this rental investing. Now I'm going to invest in the stock market like six months in. So then you went and did stock market for 90 days. Then you said, no, I'm done with that. I'm going to go invest in Bitcoin. Yep. You did that for 90 days. You're going to make those mistakes and you just pretty much keep resetting the learning process. And so you never get into your flow. And that's why I always tell people like grow where you're planted. Like you got to plant down and be committed and then grow. There's going to be hard times in every marriage, every relationship, whatever. So grow where you planted.
0: Yeah, no. And so I'm I'm going to rewind back to what I said at the beginning of my story is my very first thing that I really committed on is that I was going to go to D1 school. And so that started when I was a sophomore in high school. And so just to track that, so sophomore high school, you pretty much really stubborn, and you just think you got the world figured out. And so I basically got to my senior year, didn't have any D one scholarships. Uh, had a junior college and uh I think a D three school and I'm like, I'm gonna go to the junior college route. Um and that after a lot of praying and just really asking myself, what I'm gonna do. So that's three years from that commitment that I made. And then so two years later, thanks to meeting you and just being able to continue to stay committed to what I said I was gonna do, I was able to accomplish that in five years. And so it's so many times that I reflect back on that journey on what are the things I did when it was coming to working out, you know, what are the things I needed to do to prepare myself mentally, uh, physically, to be able to get that position, to be able to start. What were the sacrifices I needed to make? And so now I now have that journey or I have that roadmap for myself personally to say, you've done this before, you know, what type of commitment and sacrifice is going to take. Now you got to realize it may take longer than you think it's going to take, but you can do it. And that was, I think the biggest confidence for me is being able to say, all right, when I committed myself and when I committed to myself and say, I was going to make it to this journey and get it to D one, then I made it. Okay. I can use that same energy, but remind yourself how much you went through, how much longer it took. I could have gave up at one of my senior year and I could have went to D3 school and that would have been done. But two years later, I was able to accomplish a goal I set out five years ago. And I think that's what you always hit on is like people see where you're at right now, but you don't realize, well, what did I go through to get through that? And that's so much more, I think, important in the process than the end results of where I'm at right now and what we're at right now.
1: For sure. Like one of the things I've always said is I never look at someone else's success, first off, and envy it or be jealous of it. You know, we all have different struggles. Jealousy and envy has never been one of mine. I don't look at someone else. Like I don't sit here and look at Jabari and say he has 18 properties. And how did he do that? Like I try to be inspired by everybody's success because life happens fast. There's already, I think it was a quote that I always put up. There's already enough critics in the world, be an encourager and not only be an encourager, but try to learn from people's story. Like, You can genuinely learn from anybody's story. If they've been successful at anything, there is some success leaves clues. And so I've always learned that way. I've always been, I study people, I study scenarios and I watch success and I try to pull from it and add it to my DNA because you can really be encouraged by anybody's story. So let's dive into this real quick. So when you got into the industry, what's the most surprising lesson that you learned so far?
0: That's a lot of opportunity. If you don't get that offer, if it don't go through, it's always another house. Something it's always going. another deal. Yeah. Yeah. That is, I think, so important because you get so fixed and you easily, like myself, and the great thing I have my wife because you can either get emotional to a deal <laughs> <laughs> and you laugh at me because you you know who I am. And my wife is like, bro, it's four walls and a roof. We're going to go move to the next and we'll find what we need to find. And so I think that's the biggest lesson is that. Don't get caught up if you didn't get that one property and thinking that it's no other deal out there. If it it was literally no other deals out there after we got that first one, would we be at where we're at right now? Absolutely not. But that's not the case. It's all, once again, it's a mental process that you have to constantly work yourself through. And that was something I had to work myself through because I know myself. I'm a super emotional person. And so my wife is, like I said, she's the baseline and sort of like, listen, it's it's basic math. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, we move on to the next. And y'all have a lot of similarities. But that was the biggest thing that I learned is that it's always another deal.
1: And that was the benefit of our friendship. I coached you before. So it was easy for you to listen to me when I say, hey, here's what you need to do. And that's where, you know, in the future, I'm going to be rolling out some new services, a coaching business where I'm coaching people on how to grow their sales business, how to grow their investment portfolio. Because as I've learned, all the books that I read, all the experiences that I had, I have something to give to the world in this space, Mm -hmm. which is why we sit here and have this podcast. But the reason I really wanted you on because I wanted people to see uh, a young man, 20 some years old, married, no NFL. Your wife didn't go to the WNBA, but she is a great basketball player and kills you any day, all day, one (laughs) on one. Um, Yeah, and even came to College Station and lit some people up when we went and played uh, pickup.
0: Gave all your buckets. Even
1: you, you are you. I mean, I think your story is very inspiring because you've done it the right way, just one brick at a time. So, what's one real estate concept that you've learned that is um, something that's kind of like your secret sauce, and it may be that sheet that you say you use to, you know, look at properties with the five things. What is something that you feel like that you do in the real estate space that's a concept that's really helped you be successful?
0: So I'm going to say, yes, looking at those, um, I have two things. I I think one is looking at those uh, five things of the house and understanding like these are need to be my gauge every time I look at a rental. So I won't become emotional. And if we look at a house and we say, well, we look at these five things And if we have to fix maybe two to three of those, if that offer is not low enough, well, we can make that happen or, you know, we have whatever we need to make those fixes. Because we got to the point now where we have a big we have a team of people we trust and that's going to give us better opportunities to fix these things as off.
1: So let's talk about that. So you now have a team. So you have a realtor that you trust and they probably brought you a lot of these properties at this point. Yep. Are there other realtors bringing you properties? And calling you, or is that one realtor the one who's bringing?
0: you So this one really done a great job. Out of all the properties that we bought, I think I've only bought only one from someone else. Wow, um, he, he's done a great job. He knows knows as well, and I mean he's, he's and he a knows you can get a
1: deal done. That's the key. You have a track record for closing deals.
0: Yes, and and I think for anybody who's know that you're committed to something, and I go back to commit because it's so important. when he knew we were committed to something. And like, until to this day, he said, man, I'm impressed by what you guys and, you and your wife done because it's, I, I couldn't do it. Like he made, you know, he was honest, he's like I couldn't do what you guys done, but you guys not only stick to it, but it was creatively figuring out ways to make it happen. And so,
1: so he's on your team. Who else is on your team when you talk about your team that you've put together?
0: So, yeah, I mean, we have uh, lawyers who help us with, you know, leases, dealing with evictions because that's part of it uh, that we mm-hmm. can be able to call pretty much. At any time, it's available. We have a plumber that we use on any and all our properties. Um, mm-hmm. We have uh, we have a handyman who literally comes in and do all our work. We're actually we actually just bought a, a duplex, and one of our guys is there now, and he's remodeling and you know pulling cabinets out and getting a lot of things ready for the plumber to be able to come in. And so we've got a floor guy, we have a painter, we have an electrician, and so we have these people that pretty much that's on speed dial for us. And instead of us having to go in and pay for an inspector, we can just call them up and say, hey, can you meet us at this property? We want to see if this going to be a good move for us. And we can pretty much go in there and say, if they say, you know what, this is a good deal. you know, I don't think it'll cost me that much or you may need to be careful. I mean, literally that is now we can trust them when we're going into looking at deals because they taught us so much that we can do that for ourselves now. But we build that relationship with them and we have the team that helps us make better decisions on our rentals. And once again, all that has been done over the time span that we've uh, started this. And so that's so much more helpful for us because it doesn't take as lot, much effort for us to figure out whether it's a good deal or not. It's how much a lot of these things are going to
1: cost. That's good, bro. Before we talk about what's next in the next 12, 24 months, so you have the, the traditional rental properties. Why did you get into Airbnb? Why did you go and buy four Airbnbs like the one you're sitting in right now?
0: So to be honest with you, I remember coming in to, to visit you and I was so gun ho about, all right, we need to be able to build another business close to a real estate business. And I've seen you do that with everything you've done from property management, to construction, insurance, and everything you're doing. And so it was... Big on my heart is that, okay? well, some of the goals we do have and we want to accomplish, how can we continue to continue to do that and have other ways to supplement and make more additional revenue?
1: So diversifying your rental portfolio a little bit with a different revenue stream.
0: Yes. Yes. And in a space we're in already because it, it just made sense. And so I think in combination of, you know, just looking and studying a lot of the things you have done and finding other people who've done real similar things in the real estate space. Airbnb just made a lot of sense for us. You know, I didn't really turn to you on that, but I turned to the same principles. I want to commit. I want to go study people who were successful in this industry. I want to figure out what is the best route to be able to do it. And it helped. I mean, literally, this is the first year and we have four of them. And we have been able to figure it out as far as, you know, how to make sure we have a cleaning crew, how to make sure the scheduling system is up. We now have our own website that we can be able to book, people can book directly through. And so this year have learned a lot.
1: (laughs) Shameless plug. What's that website?
0: Uh, JBstayhere.com. So JBstayhere.com. So we have Instagram. You can be able to go there and check us out. And you can look at all the units. You can look at the pictures. You can look at a video walkthrough of everything. And you can be able to ask us any questions that you have. And so we, um, of course, are on Airbnb as well.
1: Awesome. So now you have it up on Airbnb. You built that portfolio. Mm Mm-hmm. So I know originally we were buying them and we were fixing them up. We were rehabbing them. We were value add. You got to a place where now you're moving more towards development. Let's talk about that transition as an investor or a real estate entrepreneur.
0: So I think one of the things we're realizing when you start building, when you buy a lot of properties, the older properties, which typically over time, when a few things happen. We start realizing you have a lot of maintenance calls because things need to be fixed consistently. You have things that are done not now you've done it long enough to the standard of me and my wife. We actually like as far as, you know, how maybe rooms are set up or how, you know, parking is situated. Just real small things that you really start to notice that really is not a big deal in the beginning. But as you realize, hey, we're committed to this and we need to maybe figure out ways that we can control this as well. And once again, I learned this from you as well. It's like, okay, well, if you're not finding nobody else who's going to do it as well as you want, then why not being able to be that person and do it yourself? And so it's us now getting to the point where we want to start developing more. So longer down the line, we're not having a lot of these maintenance issues. Maintenance issues like we built a house in, I think, at the beginning of 2019 when my son was born. And I think we've had maybe one service call on that house uh, and it was real
1: minor. Yeah. It was a ground up bill.
0: Actually. No, I actually, it was funny because I actually made a video the day before when we bought this property and this, it was actually a building on it. So it was, but we got it at such a low price and we were able to knock down the house okay. and we pretty much from ground up and it's on my Instagram for anybody who want to look at that process. Like I was so I learned so much about building and developing when we did that very first build and that we're building um, a fourplex here soon. So we've got into this space because now we've learned so much about not only one, so much more control about the process, but it's, I don't know, it's fun. Like when you really get into this to start becoming some, a learning lesson for you and you get more experience and you want to say, okay, what else can I do? And you can say, well, if you've done this, you can also do this. So yeah, developing now is one of the things we're moving towards. And with the help of my wife, we're able to really start learning what are the things that we need to do to, you know, make sure we manage costs and be wise with everything.
1: No, that's good. And I always tell people check equity versus sweat equity. Now you're putting in the sweat. So you got to go out there, buy it, tear it down. Draw up the new plans, go to the city, pay permitting fees, find a general contractor or a builder, sub everything out, build it, you know, design it, then lease it. So there's a downtime where there's no income. And we talked about that. You got to make sure you have the stay in capital to get past that downtime. Now obviously you got construction draws that'll help fund the construction, but there's no rental income coming in. And I always tell people start off with ones that you can buy and day one make money. So you can do a quick remodel or a quick countertop, add in some things and then lease it within the first 30 days or buy something that's a little newer already. Your returns are going to be a little lower. But day one, when you close at the title company, you get a prorated rent check, you get a security deposit. And that next month you got cash flow coming in versus the development side. You know, whether it's one hundred thousand or one hundred million, there's going to be that downtime where you got to have staying capital to get to where you can develop it, fix it up and build it and actually make money. So we can dive into that on another one. The books you recommended was Cashflow Quadrant and 10X, the 10X rule. Why- tell me about those two books real quick.
0: So Cashflow Quadrant was big for me because you realize what side of the quadrant you're on. And, you know, it's shift my perspective. I've always had a business mind, entrepreneurial mindset, like since day one, while I was even playing football. And so I've always knew I wanted to be in this space. And so literally when I read that book, I became even more committed to actually learning, not only learning more, but also moving forward with doing something because I realized being in business and being able to actually have assets that take care of your liabilities is so much more valuable, but then also it's a lot more incentives for you uh, from even a tax perspective then it would be you being on just uh, an employee. Like, and and it's not wrong, everybody starts somewhere. But I was an employee as I was reading that book. And I realized like being on that side of the quadrant, for me, wasn't going to work long. And I was, it was just that shift from perspective. And that book helped me understand like, okay, these are the things that I need to do to start getting there. And I I remember me personally, like after reading that book, we had, and nothing against anybody else, but we had a 401k a little when it wasn't really doing I said, hey, we need to cash that in. We're going all in on real estate. And I told my wife that and she was like, okay, cool. And so it was that book helped me make more of the commitment that I needed to be able to make just personally for myself. Like having that personal conviction is so much more different than anybody else. And so that book really, really helped me do just that. And so that's why I recommended that book because it helped me understand what I needed to do from a business perspective. Um, as It's as Fallen the Rich Dad series.
1: The cash flow quadrant is good. Not everybody is meant to be an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. You can be an employee and still invest in real estate. You can still put money back. You can still put in 401k. You can still create wealth without taking the risk. Because like I read this on a couple episodes before, it said the meaning of entrepreneur is somebody who's willing to take greater than normal financial risk. So just know that, yeah, you can start a business, but you're taking greater than normal financial risk. Now, I encourage you to go for it, just like I did with you with the Amazon books and the investments and things like that. But just know, I don't want everybody to feel the burden of, man, the only way to be wealthy or the only way to be a real estate entrepreneur is to start a business. Like you can be an employee and still invest in real estate. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm just trying to tell you guys how to build multiple income streams. You can be an employee and have two side hustles. A home business, invest in real estate, and a million other things. So I just I want to put that out there because it's not a terrible thing to be that. Cause obviously that's where you know you got your safe money. Cause I always say you have to have a career and your money has to have a career. But Jabari and myself, we're just wired to be entrepreneurs. So as we close, man, what's one final thought you want to leave the listeners with?
0: One quote that was has done it for me was by Zig Ziglar. It was you are what you are and who you are because of what goes into your mind. So you can change what you are and who you are by changing what goes into your mind. And when I first heard that, it didn't make sense to me. I'm like, wait, wait, wait I could change yeah, because I was so stuck on, I can only be an NFL player. I can only make it through sports. And for athletes, this is real important. Like You wrap so much of your identity around that and you don't think it's life outside of that, And, you know, thank you to me or Alicia had with you and just reading and diving in and learning is that you can change, but it's going to start with the information you put in your mind. So I'm real big on social media. You hear me always say, what's your self-talk? Because you are a product of the information that is in your mind. So what we think is what we do and has continued to help me make better decisions for my life. And I think for you as a person, once you are committed, and that's the first thing—being committed—and then being able to have the right information to help you stay committed is so important. So that's what's helpful for me, and that's what I want to share with others as well.
1: That's good, bro. So, how can people find you?
0: Yeah, so I have my own podcast, obviously. What's your self-talk? You can be able to find that uh, on Apple, and I'm very, you know sociable so you can find me on instagram as well or facebook those are the two platforms that i hang out on the most and so you download the podcast as well it's a uh, hashtag wyst what's your self talk and uh it's where all podcasts are available so uh people i'm real easy to find so you can just be able to look up my name Jabari McClendon.
1: well man i just want you to know i love you brother i'm proud of you proud of you and shania in houston and the new baby's coming in a couple weeks and uh, man, I wanted you on the show because I wanted people to know no matter where you're at and where you're starting, you can do it. And I'm just so proud of you, man. Like, I knew you were at like 15 plus, I didn't know you had got to 18. So I'm proud of that, bro. And you took my coaching and you took my challenging you on reading the books and you put it into action, man. So I love you and I'm proud of you, bro. Thanks for coming on the show, dog.
0: Love you. Appreciate you having me. All right, bro. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of The Real Estate Entrepreneur with Terrence Murphy. Please subscribe on whichever platform you are listening and consider leaving a five-star review as that will help us gain traction and continue to bring you knowledge in the real estate industry. For more content, head over to TerrenceMurphy.com.